Nina, thank you very much for coming here and agreeing to talk to me. We only met briefly for a few moments, which is a very unique. We only met quickly at the breakfast and we had a nice, interesting conversation at, about spirituality and religion. And that's something that never happened to me. It was sort of special. So I was looking forward since then to continue the conversation and understand you better. So I'm very happy that you agreed to take on this challenge to have some brief words with me again. You're welcome. Thank you for yeah for talking with me <laughs> and for continuing this conversation. Would you like to start by introducing yourself, say what kind of person you are and what you do? Yeah, for sure. Why not? So um, where to start? Um, so I'm Nina and I am Belgian. Uh, my mother is Belgian. My father is French. So that I got, I brought up, I was brought up in Belgium. And um, I am currently a yoga teacher, um, but uh, <laughs> I have many lives already. <laughs> I'm having also a project in uh, Portugal, mm -hmm. a uh, guest house where we do some permaculture, yoga, um, some dinner events. Um, music is also part of my life. And currently also working for a ski school in Switzerland still. A ski uh, school? Yeah. So you are a yoga teacher, you have yeah. your project uh, that I mentioned, and you still work uh, there in Switzerland. Yeah. How do you balance everything? Um, Especially I... in two countries, so two jobs in yeah. two countries. Exactly. So you could say I have two home bases, which are Portugal and Switzerland. But most of the time I'm in, I'm in Portugal uh, most of the year. And then when winter comes, it's really hard for me to stay. Uh, although I love the ocean, it's really hard for me to stay close to an ocean where it becomes gray. And then I need to go to the cold. Then the snow is calling and I need to go to the mountains. And that's how I roll. <laughs> I need the sun when it's summer and I need the snow and I need the proper winter when it's winter time. Um, and how I do these three jobs is I know I have these three roles and they kind of are separate, but they also intermingle or interfere a lot. And I learn from each of them. And yeah, they help me move forward and to do some things for other people. So I would say the baseline of the three jobs that I do is that they, um, I do feel I'm useful in all three of them and I'm connected to other people. Yeah. All right. Which one of them do you feel that is your most defining job or like where you put your first identity, let's say? Now, if it, yeah, if it's now, now, I do feel as a person, as really me, is the yoga at the moment yeah okay because the project i have in portugal also defines a lot so i would say the yoga and the project i have but that is uh with my partner so it is just me nina and my main thing how i see myself at the moment and what i work most with and when i wake up and go to bed it's yoga <laughs> so you feel yourself as a yoga teacher first and foremost yeah or a yoga guide maybe i don't always like the word yoga teacher but yeah if you have to oh, my bad. i don't know i use teacher in my traditional sense but okay exactly exactly no no yeah you could say yeah 
what, so what is the distinction between a teacher and a guide in your interpretation? So um, a teacher, um, well, you could say I'm a, I'm a teacher and maybe not an instructor. If you see teacher in the sense as an instructor who just shows you what to do and tells you what to do, um, and you just follow whatever that person says. Um, a guide, which I prefer, is that it go, moves beyond the class that you're doing, beyond those 75 minutes that I'm teaching. Um, I want to be a support for the people that want to learn more about yoga, that want to include yoga in, into their daily life. And it feels like a connection, more like a community that starts to um, develop. Um, so I want to pass on those things more than just to people that come to class. And that's right. where I think more the yoga guide. So it seems to me that more than just focusing on those 60 minutes, 90 minutes, I don't know how longer classes are, it's just more about trying to change them as a person and maybe making a journey alongside them or pointing where that journey could lead to. Exactly. Yeah. And growing with them. This is the most fascinating thing is growing with your students at the same time. So you always stay a student as well. Um, yeah. Growing, you mean by learning from them, by being their friends, by sharing happy moments with them and sad moments also? Everything. Yeah, everything. Growing by learning from them, for sure. Every class I have or every student I see, I learn from them. And then also the human part of it, the contact, the social things that come out of it. And at the same time that I always um, feel as well as a student, like there's an exchange always. So that's that's absolutely wonderful um we could i think we're going to talk about these three aspects that you mentioned your free occupations as a yoga teacher as someone who has a house or has a house is is that correct or someone who's hosting it's know. my house yeah you can call yeah, okay. it someone <laughs> who, has a, who has a house and hosts it to other people and receives other people and as a swiss instructor we'll maybe leave the house part for later let's focus on the yoga one since you said that it's probably your main uh, occupation right now and your main source of identity and meaning. And I would like to ask you, was it always like this? Like, was yoga always your priority and your defining guideline? No, it's uh, quite recent if you think about, uh, yeah, about my lifetime. Because uh, so... it's so old, yeah? Everything, some things happen <laughs> so far away. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I'm 32 years, let's mention that. I'm 32 years old, <laughs> but uh, I have many lifetimes. Um, so I have to say as a kid already, um, I knew there was always something, some spiritual side of me. And I grew up actually as, um, as a, not as an atheist, but, but my parents were not religious. And I was living in Bruges. And Bruges is one of the towns which, ha which has the most, not the most, but in Bruges, it's really hard to go to a, a high school, which is not religious, not a Catholic one. I think Bruges in maybe, Belgium, right? Yeah, in Bruges in Belgium. There are only two public schools or something. I'm, I'm saying just a number, but very little. Mm -hmm. um, so when I got to the age of 12, where I needed to go to the high school, I chose a Catholic school. Although I never had any catechism uh, 
at any point in my life. Uh, and I got very intrigued. Um, and my mom was all, was even afraid that I would. We <laughs> <laughs> thought I would like baptize myself or whatever. Normally, it's the other way around. Is the parents pushing the kid into a Catholic direction? The kid saying, "Oh, this is stupid. This doesn't make any sense." Yeah, I know. Um, but uh, it was just because I was curious and I didn't understand uh, what all that was all about and all those rules and because I never had it in my youth, like it was very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I quickly understood there was, I was not a fan of any religious institution. I really didn't like that and I was very skeptic about it. Anyway, this was something in my life that as a kid, I always imagined I was a witch and whatever. <laughs> <So> <laughs> Um, although my dad, who I love a lot, told me I should not think I am special. And I think he said it in a fun way, but it really stuck to me. So I really put everything into a box and anything which was spiritual. I just... Referring to the which part in specific? That you are not special? Uh, Like, do you feel you will will communicate with spirits or like like in in series or in a name where there's this protagonist that as a gift and everything happens around him. Is that the sense well, of special? Well, yeah, you don't know. I had a lot of fantasy, I still have. So a lot was just fantasy, but I will never know. Was there already something when I was a kid or not? No idea. Uh, because that one remark really shook me up and I had to grow up really fast as well as a kid. So my dad, he moved away from my mom and me when I was 10 years old. My mom had like two jobs, so the typical story where the kid had to grow up, you know, and there was a lot at home alone. So all of these things were put a bit into a box. Um, But I got, I was always a fan of Harry Potter and any of those kind of movies. So it's thick, that was the only thing that stick to me. Anyway, and then um, I got into sports. and uh, I was snowboarding already at a young age, like always skiing. Since I was three years old, I was skiing. Then I discovered snowboarding and I loved it. And I went very fast into like the instructor part of it. So already when I was 18, I was training to be an instructor. Um, anything, anything that, uh, besides my studies that I was doing that we were talking about. So I did mm-hmm. university. I was always in my free time. Uh, going to the Alps and uh, training and doing some even some competitions but with all of this comes injuries and um, yeah and I quickly understood the the importance of training besides snowboarding and surfing as well which I do uh, that I had to keep my body fit and so I got in touch with Pilates uh, when I was like in my 20s And then one day in a surf camp, one friend of mine, she showed me yoga and she went to India and she went, she always went to India and in our break, I will never forget this first class. Her name is Lucy Hoffman. I don't know where she she is in the world, but I'm still super grateful to her. And uh, Lucy showed me yoga and I thought, what the hell is this? (laughs) And I remember her asking me, did you like it? And I was like, uh... I prefer Pilates and normal training. You were bashing me earlier for not knowing fascia, and that's very marginal. And now you, after all, don't know yoga, and that's really bad because yeah. everyone knows yoga. So how is it possible? 
It's well, a bit of no yoga was before. Trendy. That was like 12 years ago or something. Now yoga yoga is much more popular now. And I knew yoga. It was not that I didn't know because my mother was actually always doing yoga. Uh, but then when my dad went away, whatever, she she crashed a bit and had to work a lot and didn't do anything any more of that. And now, just a little note, my mother is one of my uh, diehard students. It's awesome. Yeah, student uh, surpasses the, the math. Yeah, the student surpasses the master. So like before you knew she was doing yoga, for you, she was doing just weird things in the floor. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's hope she's uh, not listening. <laughs> <laughs> so just to make sure, like you were doing all this snowboarding and skiing, but yeah. and you said in Alps. In Alps is not in Belgium. No, so every holiday I had or every, even next to my studies, I was working to have money to go to the Alps every holiday I had. Yeah. Oh, so just as so this thing of working the holiday season seems to have started pretty early. If by exactly. 18, you already had this habit. Yeah, it's true because I didn't have, yeah, I had, I, you could go on a holiday and just spend for one week, but one week was not enough. So how I did is I went every holiday, I went to the mountains and I was working as a snowboard instructor and that was like free holidays. kind of. So like you used the money that you got paid to pay the rent in the holidays and to practice a bit, I suppose. It's uh, in the beginning, it's more like sport camps for children. So you just stay in a hotel with the children and you teach, uh, you teach them during the day and then in your breaks, you go for a quick ride. But like you said, that was not enough for me. So then... I ended up going a whole winter once I finished my studies to the mountains and started working really there and really living Whoa, there. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. How old were you when you had this first adventure, like full full months adventure away? Mm, I was 22, I think 21, 21 already. 21, 22, yeah. Something. Yeah. Impressive. So, okay, so you got <laughs> to know, so you got to know yoga, you found mm -hmm. this thing that you didn't know what it was about then how did it develop from there yeah so from there uh she, she it sticked in my head you know i was a little bit intrigued I, I told her no nothing for me but then every time i was somewhere and i saw yoga i was like, okay let's give it a go let's give it a go and every time i was a little bit disappointed i was like oh i'm intrigued this is really interesting but this teacher is really annoying me <laughs> <laughs> what happened is I didn't find any teacher I liked and I was also moving a lot back and forward Switzerland and then Portugal and everything became, became a little bit more hectic so I thought why not become my own teacher and that's where I started doing a teacher training so I could do my own practice and because I already knew I liked uh, teaching uh, as I was a snowboard instructor and, and I also did a teacher's degree you know, in between everything so I went to do my yoga teacher training and then yeah then the whole world opened up to me and then I was like aha <laughs> aha feeling that says the, the aha was what exactly like just you being able to teach or to guide others you being the cool teacher the cool guy that you never found in others <laughs> Was it the no, ha -ha moment? Me understanding that yoga was so much was like um yeah uh the first time that meditation kicked in that i really was like wow okay this is what all the fuzz is about that meditation the first time i got a deep relaxation where i really felt my body was healing by just being relaxed 
um, then in this yoga teacher training, I met an incredible woman, um, Shika is an Indian woman who also very special person in my life because she showed me, for example, um, hypnotherapy. And she, she made me understand the layers of our consciousness and our unconsciousness and how we get, we have injuries from ourselves, but even from our ancestors. And so all of these drawers were like being opened and whatever I've put down into that box when I was a little child was like suddenly coming out and okay, so there is something else out there than just a conscious mind that we have and that we feel hungry and thirsty and whatever. There is something else deep down there. And uh, yeah. And oh, that's I wonderful. Got... So it's more, you understood that it was more than exercise. It was maybe a door to some spiritual gate or some spiritual realm that was there waiting for you. I would like to talk that, but before we delve into that, because that's a topic that if you go into it and it's hard to stop, just before we go there to contextualize, where did you do your yoga training? Because you mentioned India also. Was it? Yeah. Uh, for me, it started in Holland. <laughs> uh, There's so many yoga schools out there, but I just chose one that looked very traditional and um but still complete. So I went to the Netherlands for one month, uh, but it was an, an Indian man and an, I, don't, I think she's Swiss, the woman, uh, a couple running Arhanta and they have an ashram. An ashram is a place where you do yoga. You could call it like a yoga center. They had one in uh, Holland and one in India, but my first training was just in Holland. Just in Holland. Yeah, from my home. Uh, but it was very intense because then I did another training not long ago in India, and that was much more Western. Than oh, so the you one did go to India. India. Yeah. I, knew, I knew you had to go there. <laughs> yeah, I did many trainings in the meantime. But yeah, I also went to India. How do you compare them? Like, is it is it the same in Europe as in India? Or is it completely different? Like the mindset, the spirituality that you was referring to, the meaning of yoga besides just an exercise and as a, a mode of living almost you don't need to go to india to find that because if i look to the organizations that i was with i have to say that the one in in the netherlands was actually um how do you say much more yoga than the one that i went to in india and nothing against it because I'm very grateful to Trimurti as well, but it was much more Western when I went to India to that center. Um, so if it's about the schools, I think it doesn't matter where the school is located. It's about the teachers that you get there and um, the knowledge that that's being presented and then the lineage and then many things I can talk about. Um, and then if it's about India going there and understanding where the culture comes from and where yoga is coming from, I do think that is important. But I was unlucky because I got there when the big pandemic started. So I didn't have the oh. chance to travel there. Yeah, I got stuck. Early 2020 uh, then? Yeah, 2020. And oh. um, yeah. That sucks. So. But it was very recent, nevertheless. I thought this was deep in the past, many years ago, as you said, and that's distant <laughs> past, but just uh, it was almost just two years ago. 
pretty recent. Yeah, my 300 hours training, yeah, but uh, that is like, oh yeah, in yoga, you actually have only two kind of levels, if you would say it like that. Mm -hmm. You have a 200 hours training and then you have 300 hours and in total that makes like a 500 hours a training. Um, and I did want to gain uh, experience before I went for that second level and that's why it has been recently but um, a lot of happened so, what, so what levels are there you mentioned a few levels someone who wants to do a complete yoga training what can he or she expect to go through then easy so you do 200 hours and then you do it 300 hours so in total you become like a full 500 hours uh trainer 500 hours 500 hours that's how many days how many months just to put into perspective you can choose some schools do it over years so if you do it every weekend or something uh or some schools do it over a month so you do one month of 200 hours and you do one month of 300 hours uh that is very intense that is um, and those are like you do those hours they represent the amount of of hours you you get classes or practice or whatever so you can imagine that 300 hours of classes in one month is a lot yeah that's a lot so if a month has 40 days that's like 10 hours a day yeah, oh, yeah how intense. do you do 10 yeah. hours a day of exercise for you one get month up straight in the morning and you go to bed at 9 9 30 <laughs> does the so. those hours include like laying down relaxing just thinking yeah. okay yeah kind of you no know, but the meditation is part of it and then there's some yeah it's definitely not only practice and then some people fall asleep and they're like meditating with their eyes closed. <laughs> wake up five hours later. Yeah, five hours of practice. Good, good. <laughs> right. So yeah. you do these two courses and then there's nothing more. You don't need any, there's no higher certification to pursue. No, there is. So then um, that's the amount of hours that you've been teaching. So you become a 200 hour teacher plus uh teaching hours or like uh, i don't remember exactly how it's called but like say i'm i'm like for example a 500 hour uh teacher plus i have passed the 200 hours of giving classes so i'm like 500 plus 200 hours of teaching do experience. you personally count those hours that you teach no, <laughs> but I do know I've passed 200 hours because one day I was a bit calculating um, where I am. But you you can. So there's an international yoga alliance and you can apply and give in all of the teaching hours and stuff that you've done. If you want all of the official cards and stuff, you can do that. So, okay. So for people that might, that are listening and might want to pursue this, where would you recommend them to go based on what you've seen, based on your experience in Europe, based on your experience in India? Like if you had to start over, where would you would your be your first priority? Ah, good question. I get this question so many times. I will just send them your podcast. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Not creative at all. <laughs> um, so if you start uh, a training, <clears throat> if your first one, your two hundred hours training, it doesn't. How would you say? I would say try to take something which is quite traditional um the course is intense and for me i think hatha yoga is a really good base to start with because it is kind of the base of yoga 
um, and it doesn't complicate things. Because if you would start, for example, for those that know all of the different styles, if you start with vinyasa yoga, which is quite fast and it's quite compl complex already in the sequencing, in preparing a class, um, I think it's good if you're passionate about it, but I do recommend something more uh, foundation-wise and uh, look for a course that provides you three meals a day because you need them. It's not the time to go into a glancing or to lose weight or whatever you have in your mind. No, you need the energy, so look for enough food. Um, have a look if there's definitely anatomy in the course anatomy philosophy and that these things need to be in there philosophy yeah. how do philosophy and anatomy relate i, I think i know what you can say no, but no, I, they don't relate they don't relate i mean they're different models of the course so you would have like the yoga practice the asana practice the postures and you need the philosophy as well to understand what you started and you need anatomy uh the minimum of it to prevent any injuries in your class and to understand how the human body works so that's really important have a look at the curriculum and what's in there and then of course have a look if the the course has been recognized by yoga alliance um you mean my is it it's certificated or not yeah although i have my question marks around yoga alliance definitely um but yeah, it is still the only organization that checks it out. Um, so yeah, that's it. And then 300 hours. And then once you become a yoga teacher, I would definitely say wait at least one year, two years, teach, go out, teach, 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 and then start your 300 hours. Because if you start your 300 hours, they will not um, teach you how to teach anymore. This goes really into refinement. And then you can choose something which interests you, the style that interests you. And you definitely need some experience before you go there because then it becomes so interesting. Like for me, the 300 hours was more an exchange between all different teachers and what they've experienced and how they use certain tools and oh, then it's awesome. But to get the most out of it, go out, teach, and then do your second level. It might seem intimidating. That's amazing, but it might seem intimidating for people. Okay, I'm gonna start teach now. Do you need any infrastructure? Do you need anything besides your real? Meaning, do you need uh, to rent a space, rent a studio? Is it as simple as that? Just rent a studio, put some mattresses in the floor, and advertise? Or is it more complex? Oh man, yeah, it's it's uh, it's challenging because nowadays there's so many people out there. <laughs> yeah, competition. I mean. Yeah, um, I would say if you're intimidated, for sure, start by just teaching your parents, your friends, um, and do it for free for them. We always got like the 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 advice of like start with free classes when you. Uh, for, for, for people that you don't know, it's not very respectful for the yoga teachers that are out there and are trying to make out their living and that are, um, that did choose to go and do all of these trainings and have the knowledge. And then this is a bit the devaluation that we get of uh, yoga classes and yoga teachers. But definitely go teaching your parents, your family, your friends, whatever, so that you start to feel confident. 
um, see if you can use a local club or your local school, um, buy a few mats if you, if you know that this is what you're going to do. Any little investment is, is never lost. And then it grows by itself. And then if you believe in it and you feel comfortable in it, it comes by itself and you will see where you need to go. Is this how you started? Like your family and then your friends and then you gain the necessary confidence and build up and the friends talk to the friends. And instead of two, you have four. And instead of four, you have eight and so on. No, for me, it was hardcore because before I even graduated, I already got a job offer here in town in Switzerland where I still have the ski school. Um, the tourist office was offering yoga classes in summer for tourists um and before i went to my course um they already knew i was going to do that and so the moment i got back like one week later i had to teach to people i never knew and i had to teach in french and my course my training was all in english so it was okay. hard. but your mother yeah. was french so you're probably fluent in french no, it's oh, like okay. this. When you do a training, you learn all of this technical stuff oh, in English. Okay. And then, yeah, and then you're, this is new. You're super stressed because you've never taught any yoga to people that you don't know. And then I had to do it in French. <laughs> I see. You can always say, okay, guys, let's not talk. This is about feeling connected. So let's stay in silence and just follow along what I do. <laughs> so I don't I have to use it. all new terms. <laughs> but uh, that was good because it got me out there straight away and yeah. uh, has se ever since it has been a great experience and I still have some students from back in the day that are following me and that, yeah. I think that in this project the best is not to have time to think you know like when you are in a cliff high in a cliff and you want to jump into the water and you're like 10 12 meters you go there and it looks so far away it looks <laughs> and the thing is the longer you stay there and the longer you look to the water the more you will be afraid, the more you'll be afraid. So the more time you spend there, the chances of you jumping actually decrease. So it's a bit like that. I also feel that the more we think about stuff and the more, the more we try to rationalize, uh, just the longer we delay it. So it's just better to do it instantly, get it over with, build the momentum, build the confidence. And apparently it has been turning out pretty well for you. Yeah, it's the same with snowboarding. <laughs> yeah. When you're uh, off piece, I do some off piece snowboarding. That's my, that's what I love the most. So we go onto the mountain, and then you have that cliff, or you have that passage that you need to go through. The more you wait, the worse it gets in your head. <laughs> well, in snowboarding, I will argue a bit differently. In snowboarding, I have one day of snowboarding in my life, so I would say that I wanted to go, but very slowly very slowly just take it very easy start to when i started to accelerate break immediately i don't want to break my ass or anything so in that case i respected it a lot in the learning process for sure no no that's yeah. true no okay now that is wonderful i'm sure that's pretty good advice for for people that are looking to seek it and so to recover the earlier topic about spirituality because it's probably the most important and also some of the topics i am most intrigued about because for me exercise is a started as a physical and since i do exercise mostly by myself i don't have necessarily a medium to access another realm or to share these experiences that you're describing that you had in your 300 hour course that you enter and you exchanged with other teachers and you probably 
when you talk like this, you probably achieve things that you will not ever do it by yourself. So for me, as someone who is mostly exercising by, by himself, I'm very intrigued by the meaning of exercise behind the get fit, get healthy, and uh, my meditation. Because I also noticed that like when I'm exercising, I'm thinking about stuff in life. Even when you're doing like the reps and you're pushing it. But then when, you, when I'm actually in the rest times, I'm thinking about stuff and I notice that. And those times are important for me to organize my thoughts. Because if I don't do that, I'm just in my computer looking at stuff, reading stuff. And moments spent reading is other words by, that other people write is time not spent organizing our own thoughts and processing and assimilating. So I'm very intrigued. Um, when you were talking earlier about spirituality, about the boxes that you kept as a child and that you locked them and then you opened, was it um, any mysticism related to any religion in particular or is it just a broader understanding of something greater than ourselves? If I may put it like this, I don't know if these are the right terms. Um, no, definitely um, no God or no religion. Um, so there's a big difference between religion and spirituality. So for sure, I've never been a fan of the idea that there is this one God and this God determines everything that we do. And the idea of guilt is the worst idea ever. Um, yeah, yeah, this is this is something we need to get out of our system. And I think this is a trauma that we all carry on from our ancestors and our grandparents and great parents and whatever because of religion. So this is something man made up. Um, no, for me, it's there is an understanding that there is something bigger than ourselves. There is an understanding that there is free will and free choice and but that there's also a karmic way of things. So karmic or cosmic? Karma. Cosmic okay. and karma. So two, okay. two things. Um, for me, basically, yoga is a philosophy. Okay? And it is a guideline in my life to understand certain things. Uh, to understand certain things and to become a better, the best version of myself and to be the yeah, a better human. About spirituality and, and unlocking the boxes and stuff, for me, uh, what happened with the hypnotherapy with Chica was an understanding of past lives, whatever it might be. She always told me as well, don't define things too much, which I always keep in mind. So Define things too much, meaning like try to understand them too narrowly? Or? Um, yeah, understand that there are kinds of vibes, vibrations, things that happen, unconsciousness that we have, but uh, we don't have to necessarily understand what they are exactly to understand that they have an effect on us. I don't know if that makes sense. Right. So I like to say that they were past lives, but she would then look at me, you call them whatever you want, my dear. And I love that idea, you know, like nothing is defined. And I think this is the most important thing ever. And what we're lacking maybe a little bit in religions. A religion is that stay open, stay open-minded. What means this for you can mean something else for someone else. But this understanding that there is something bigger um, 
that there are forces. Um, we have to know as well on a scientific point of view that this is logical. There are forces out there. If we think about us being constituted, what, 70% out of water? And if you see what happens when it's full moon and that you have like the high tide and the low tide, which mm -hmm. becomes so much bigger, you understand that a full moon has an effect on a human body. So you understand okay. that the, the way that planets are around the, around the earth, they will affect us. So yes, there comes in things like astrology or the fact that there's a universe and that the universe affects us. Um, so these kind of things, I, always, I found them as well in, in, in yoga and in yoga philosophy, which I am studying. We do need a little bit of studying as well. Like they, they help us to put our thoughts into order and understand why do I think this or why do I feel this or... But is it not based on is it not based on the, any preconceived philosophy, if I might say like this? Okay, because you mentioned that she said you feel whatever you want, my dear. So you do your thoughts, you inter interpret it the way you want. So it seems like a very free flow approach. Like she's not trying to teach you anything or to say this is like this. It's like there's some things and you make the sense that you make, and that's it. So was it very loose, the teachings? But this is just this one person that I met because I always want to be a bit careful, like with the when you start talking about um, past lives. But maybe I should let that go and be just open-minded and just also tell what what is my belief. Maybe you have to be so careful. Why did you do bad things in your past lives that you don't want to talk yeah, about? <laughs> because I don't. I I want to be very cautious and very careful and and. Um, I never want to say this is the truth, what I'm saying. But maybe in this conversation that we're having, I can let myself go a bit and explain what I've experienced. Um, yes. Does feel a bit like we had past lives. And there are things like karma. And there are people that, that come into your life with a reason. Like, why did we have that conversation the other morning? Why was I in that hostel with you at a table with some other people and we had the most amazing talk. Like, yeah, for sure that's coincidence. But uh, for me, it was a guideline which you find in yoga to understand that we have karma and that we have unfinished business with some people and these people will come back into your lives and they help you move forward to become that better version of yourself, to, to become more conscious about life and the universe and whatever is going on. That's and wonderful. that actually helps me. Would you say in this case that these unfinished connections are connections from previous lives then? That is kind of my belief um, that, yeah, that we did meet each other in a previous life and that now we meet again. And sometimes it will be briefly, sometimes not. And for sure, eh, most of the people you talk with, you can ask them, there has to be one person in your life that you've seen and you think, oh my God, I know you from... <laughs> yeah. You know, you look in the yeah, person's yeah, 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 eye and yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh my God. Like, I've, uh, that's, uh, I have so many things I want to say uh, because <laughs> I relate to many, a lot of stuff. Let's start by saying, nice to see you again. Maybe we don't see for 100 years, but good to see you. Good to, good to see that you're still doing good. <laughs> <laughs> good 
No, just kidding. But um, really, I want to say so much stuff. And this, I'll start by this feeling that you mentioned, that when you look at some people, you know they are different. It happened to me when I was in Coimbra with a very good friend of mine, this Andre, El, El Grande Coño. Um, and this person is like, it was crazy at the beginning of the year. You know, it was a, we used an Erasmus. So we, there was this big Erasmus house that has 12 people living in there. And then each of those 12 people each have 10 friends and the friends have 10 friends. So you know where this is going, right? So oh, then yeah. when there was a party, you just, the house is exploding with people. And it's one of the best memories I have of my university life. And like in the middle of this whole party, full of people I don't know from anywhere, you just see some, people and there's just this guy that I never see before and the moment I look at him I know well this guy seems pretty good you know like this guy he tells me he he means something to me even though I never met him before I don't know his name anything I just look at him and see this is a very interesting person right here and then he went on to become my best friend there in in Quimbra and I think about it and okay to which part of it was it um, a self-fulfilling prophecy? Meaning that, okay, there's this person. I think I want to be his friend. I don't know because I don't know anything about him, but I think I want to be his friend. And because I want to be his friend, I actually become his friend and a good friend. Or was it some of it already set in stone or already predetermined to happen? It's mystical it's in a way. It's intriguing and it's what I love. <laughs> this, is, this is what keeps me alive. This is what gives me passionate. And there's, yeah, there's, it's the truth. I think it's a self-fulfilling prophecy and it's also what has to happen will happen. Um, I have to say, uh, sometimes I wonder if I, if I look back now, like everything has a reason. Like we, for many years, for example, I was also wondering, um, I told you about the yoga, I didn't find my teacher, okay? So uh, I became my own teacher. But then still I was like, man, that's not normal because it's not normal in yoga not to have any, not normal, it's a bit strong to say, but it's uh, it's good to have a guide, a master, uh, a yoga guide, like I like to call them. So I started meditating and that's the self-fulfilling prophecy that you see. I was asking, okay, can you please, who is my guide? Can I have a yoga guide, please? (laughs) Who is my guide? (laughs) And then you go to like, I was invited in one yoga retreat as a drop-in. Drop-in means that you just go for one or two classes. You don't go to full retreat. You can have that with yoga classes. And I was invited by this woman and it was an Ashtanga retreat and Ashtanga is a very hardcore yoga and I was very skeptic about it um, because I am no, I'm a hardcore person. So I thought yoga needs to find balance. You are not hardcore. I am like a, how do you say, um, a very fiery person and I will always push myself and very competitive. And Ashtanga yoga is something that wakes up your fire and, and keeps you moving. So I thought, okay, this type of yoga might not be good for me, but why I not, went. Why not? But that seems exactly what should be good for you. Like you say, I'm a fighter, I'm a strong person, fiery, and this, this yoga pushes you. Isn't that good? So you would say no, because you need to find balance. If you have too much fire within you, uh, for health reasons, you need to calm down that fire. I need to do restorative yoga and you need Mm. to find, 
breathing, calming, rooting. If you're a lazy person, if you know, and this is not person, this can be some periods in your life. If you are tired, lazy, lethargic, you need to go do fiery practice so that the fire gets on and you're balanced again. So you would say, wow. in okay. case, yeah, if you're a, yeah, then we go really over. So you find the opposite of what you are, of what to find that balance and not just reinforce the positive feedback of however you are feeling in the moment. Yeah, it's not bad, but you should balance it out. And especially if you're a very competitive person, if you're going to do even more things that light on that fire, then you end up in a burnout. Like that is how it happens. So in a base, that would not be good. But I did go to that retreat and uh, to those classes. And that's where I met Shiko. It's a teacher and I, I had just one class with him. But it got got into me like the, the Ashtanga and then, but not Ashtanga, but more this teacher. And I was like, okay, whatever. Then I was 2020, the pandemic happened. I went to India, came back from India and suddenly all teachers were teaching online. And uh, somehow this Shiko teacher was also starting online classes. And thanks to the pandemic, he started online classes. I could follow the online classes and find my master. So one day I realized, oh my God, this, is, this was the guide I was asking for. And I needed a whole pandemic <laughs> to make this happen. <laughs> okay. And it, the, the pandemic has been so destructive to so many people, but it seems that it kind of worked for you in a way, or it, it, at least it created an opportunity for you to find something good in it. Well, sure. And uh, for a lot of people, eh? the, the pandemic really shook everyone up. It made such a huge change in so many lives yeah. that I think it was necessary. And for this consciousness, like I was saying, how many people now uh, started doing yoga at home or how much more are we talking about mental health now because we were sitting at home and I think this is a, a very good thing in society. Luckily, balanced out the bad things that go along with this pandemic. Yeah. But anyway, that's a different topic. <laughs> I'm going to make you a deep question, if I may. Yeah. Everything we've been talking about is super light. It's just everyday coffee chat. <laughs> uh, like we've been talking about things that happen for a reason, either if it's whether it's meeting people or a pandemic that creates opportunities. What is your interpretation of fate? If you think that it even exists to begin with, but if like the moment we start speaking about earlier lives and connection between earlier lives, which is actually very interesting as well, because some I've been introduced slightly to Indian philosophy. And one idea that I was told that I have is that I believe that you live, I think it's nine lives. And then there are ways to calculate on which life you are. You know about this? Only nine. I think so. Um, do you want to try to calculate which life you are on? I think you can do that. Yeah? yeah I haven't try. heard about it. You say it's Indian philosophy? Yeah, let's try to do that. Okay, um, cool. I, think, I think it's Indian, yeah. Uh, I do know that... Um, like, uh, so what and they believe like, and this is yeah this is something I told and they tell me like I'm on my eighth life I think oh you're almost done <laughs> I'm almost done and the thing is the, the kind of life you are on it affects the um, 
the life you have. So I think that those people that are on their last life are usually more wise or like more accepting of stuff. And people from earlier lives are more impulsive or whatever. But all in to... all, <clears throat> that doesn't seem a lot. So I'm, I'm kind of surprised that uh, you didn't know about this. No, I didn't know there were Okay, nine. let's see. You are seeing this, right? Sorry? You are seeing my screen, right? Yeah, okay. I am. You want to feel this? 26th of April, 04. Uh, 04. And uh, 1989. Is this this? I don't, I'm not sure if it's this. Okay, I've never used it. I've always had people tell these things for me. Uh, maybe it's not this. Destiny number three. No, this is just something different. All our Indian. This is Indian numerology. Indian numerology. Past life calculator. <laughs> Never heard about it. Uh, maybe not. Maybe we'll do it this later, not to waste too much time now. <laughs> you can send it to me. I'll have I a thought, look. yeah, I thought you were going to find it like first hit that you spot on. But yeah, and it's pretty interesting. But so again, coming back to topic. Mm -hmm. This idea of past lives is not so new, so to say. So, I mean, it's part of Indian philosophy, I think. So how exactly is your interpretation of fate in this case? So you're combining fate with that karma that I was talking about. So past lives and karma. Uh, so fate... <clears throat> But fate can be interpreted in two ways, eh? So because if you think about fate, you have to trust into life. Or again, that there are some things that we don't have any control over. Uh, so you're leaving it open to me, what I believe. Okay, so there are two things. So there's yeah, fate I'm in... going to let you talk without interrupting. I don't want to influence your <laughs> opinion you with my ideas. Okay, so fate in the karma point of view, um, there are, there's unfinished business. I strongly believe in that. And um, I believe there are people in our lives. Um, a very important example for me is my current partner, boyfriend, <laughs> uh, who I have the project with. Um, there is reasons why these people come in our lives and um, there is a continuous um, balance, again, the word balance that has to be found. So meaning that you have done something for them, you helping them to move, move forward and they're helping you to move forward. Sometimes in a positive, sometimes in a positive way, sometimes it can be really difficult. Um, but it has always the idea that uh, there was something before um, that you guys were living in a past life and they haven't finished and that you keep on going for that. They say there's a reason that your mother is your mother and your father is your father and your brother is your brother. There's a reason why these people are still in your life. Um, and the closer these people are, the stronger the unsolved business is. And then even the, the stranger that you meet in the, in the hostel <laughs> and that you have a conversation with has a meaning as well, but maybe it's not that of a 
big story that needs to be finished, but still it's something to help each other. So there's this this huge connection of people (laughs) in your life that all have a meaning. And for me, that is fate um, in that sense that, yes, maybe we don't control who we meet in our lives and they just come in. But then I also have uh, still the idea because of course I'm Western and uh, I do believe we have choices. I do believe we have choices what we do with it and how far we want to go in in those connections, um, that for sure. And then I also believe faith um, as uh, having, as a trust thing trusting in the flow of life and the happening of events what Uh, you mean like you know that things happen but there is some reason behind that something that but you don't really need to know it you don't need to define it you just trust the process is that what you mean exactly yeah trust the process things come into your life for and that uh wherever we are we are where we're meant to be even though I do believe in the fact that we have choices. Um, and that is why we have all of these lives. That's why I say nine lives seems to me maybe not a lot because maybe there's no wrong and bad choice, but maybe this life I took choices that will take me away from the evolution that I need to do to come to the full consciousness because that's in the yogic philosophy that's where you want to go you go to samadhi you go to the full 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 awareness that we are one with the universe but before we get there we need to go through a whole process is that a nirvana yeah and that means that we're finally liberated from the karma life where we keep on coming back to solve or unsolved business so is karma by definition not by definition i don't want to use the word definition by so let's say is karma by a baseline interpretation a bad thing only is that good karma ah no for sure it's not a bad thing it's amazing for me it's a good thing because for me you're like when something bad happens you're like oh yeah it's karma fuck you yeah that people say that no 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 karma isn't isn't actually karma means it's an action Due to, it's a reaction on an action so action reaction this is karma so, so you do something and this has a reaction and this has again an action and a reaction and duh, 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 it's a snowball effect uh and it means that we will keep on coming back and we will keep on learning until we come to that stage where we get enlightened enlightened meaning that we understand that we are one all like a very big word we are god we are just one with god with life and love but there's a difference in being able to say that out loud and understanding that on an on an objective matter or really living it and until we come there we just keep on having karma and we keep on having new lives until we finally get it (laughs) so it seems like karma is a pathway to somewhere if that somewhere is understanding, is the connection that you say that we, we as a human species, is we as parts of cosmic beings, as we as manifestations of life, which seems to be so rare in the universe, it seems like a miracle. Because yeah. we don't know about, we've been searching for so long and so hard for alien life, for signs of microbia, 
technology and we didn't find anything. Begs the question, are we alone out there? Are we special? Are we unique? Are we rare? We don't know those answers. But maybe we are, or maybe we're not. I don't know. Exactly. Maybe. I mean, I need to have the answer. That's why we have faith. That's why we have to trust just in life and in the universe. Um, in the end, because sometimes I can get depressed by those thoughts and then just think, oh my God, where are we going? <laughs> but then I just think we can only be the best version of ourselves. But never seeing a human race as something superior. That though Superior is... to the other beings in the world. Like animals, yeah. plants. We are but... one. We are one is really the main idea. We are mm. one with life, with the tree, with the birds, with the animals, with the earth, with with energy, with the air. Um, yeah, I think that is really important. And I think, uh, yeah. No, I agree completely. All people understand that. that it's the solution to everything. <laughs> I agree so, completely. Yeah. I think it's that arrogance to think that we are special, we are different, we are the and product of nature since uh, for a few centuries now we have had this understanding of history as a linear thing meaning that you start somewhere below like a microbe and then or paper or clay or metal or iron and then you slowly and steadily progress towards a higher point of civilization or higher point of evolution the same way that we came from monkeys and then we evolved and then our brains got bigger and now we're these amazing creatures that we everyone knows that we are. So like this linear interpretation of history didn't really play out like this, especially when we think about societies. Societies and civilizations, they come and go all the time. They rise, they fall, they rise, they fall. It's not, and technology is not linear. And I think this has blinded us to the understanding that we are not the end product. At the most, we are just middle stones or stepping stones towards something else. And uh, just because we evolved in this way doesn't mean that we are unique or, or we are unique because, yeah, we are unique, but we are not better than the others. And uh, we have been so arrogant and it's fascinating to me to discover the new science about trees, for example, that trees, they communicate with each other. They feed each other under the ground and they are profoundly intelligent and adaptive beings. And this was not known to us. We just thought a tree is a tree that is out there. We never thought of a tree as a deeply intelligent being, intelligence in the, in the sense that it solves the complex problems that it faces. So, mm -hmm. okay, we may be not so intelligent anymore. Just We just not used to, or actually we are just biased to look for forms of intelligence that are like our own. And we don't, we are not humble enough to say, okay, maybe there's intelligence in another ways that are not our, or neurons and uh, it has been a humbling process as well for me mm -hmm. to yeah. to get to know this i was actually thinking about because you're saying that about the intelligence and stuff and then you stopped about it because you said uh so i'm going back to belief system and spirituality connected to um, your movement because you said about different systems of understanding and communicating it. Um, that is super interesting that you from um, from calisthenics that you're doing, that you already realized that through your own practice, which is uh, not even yoga, asana, yoga movement. You mean what, that I meditate or what? 
What yeah, do you mean you exactly? That you that you did understand that it the movement was helping you to structure your thoughts. Maybe I don't know if it was movement. Maybe it was just idle time. You know, maybe it's just the fact that I was there, just stretching or just not doing anything. Just I don't have any gadget in front of me. I don't have any book in front of me. I'm just alone with myself. So I don't know if that is enough or if it's just a movement as a as a reason for that to happen, like as a facilitator. Well, uh, about sure. connection and interpretation and stuff, it is proven though if we work consciously with our body, which you have at calisthenics. Aesthetics. It took me like uh, three months to learn the word. <laughs> no it is an awesome practice as well because you need to be super conscious about the movements that you're making. Same that we have with yoga practice. Yeah, when we start doing that, when we start that, that's what I try to do at my practice, and and when I and how I get people into that, I do have to start from the body awareness kind of part. What I notice is when people start to become aware about their bodies and how to move and how to breathe, something happens in the brain as well. Maybe. So, I, don't know yeah, if, I don't know if anything happened in my brain because it's hard to tell the difference from the before and now, you know? It's like, I think we always assume that what we have has been there forever. And we are somehow blind to how we were in the past or to how special what we have is. Uh, I don't know if I'm making myself understood, but what I mean is that like, I have what I have now, my brain structure, whatever, my flexibility. And for me, it's very hard to go back and ask, was it like this always? Or did I gain something? Because I don't know. You know, It's like the same way when you are with your brother every day when you are teenagers. and one day you guys are one meter and a half and the next and 10 years later you are like 180 but on the daily basis you never notice the growth you just realize hey man we're, we're tall now how did we get so tall and i think with many things in life is the same thing you don't notice the small changes you only when either a long time passes or either when someone that you know that someone that is new someone that you didn't know about comes to you and you say hey man you are like this they're like wait a minute am i and then you realize so in my case uh i don't i don't i don't know if this awareness is like something special i don't know when it happened but i've noticed that for instance when i started to do handstands and after a few months i was very bad in the beginning and I'm still at that, but uh, I noticed that a few months in, I started to feel my muscles, you know? It's not like when you just walk, it's just, when you are doing such a finely balanced that everything needs to work together from your arms to your core, to your legs, where you point your toes, where you put your pressure, if it's in the, in the, in the thumbs or in the tips, everything starts to matter. And I started to feel my whole body. Like I started to notice my center of gravity. If I shift a bit more here and not, or if I shift more to the right and I immediately felt the effect on it, on the balancing. And then I started to really be conscious of the kind of pressure of my alignment of my back. And uh, I don't know if that means anything, but for me, it was a very a teaching experience. I, 
I became aware of my body. And then when, even when I walk or when I do exercises, I really feel my muscles, you know? Yeah. So you become aware about your body. Yeah. <clears throat> and at that moment, nothing else counts besides that body. If at that moment you think, what am I going to have for lunch? You fall. You cannot yes. think about what you're going to have for lunch. Yes. So that, that physical aspect that you're working on is working on the brain because at that moment your brain is focused and is on one point and that is all what meditation is about for example because then when you can manage to do that while you're in, in movement um then the next step is just to do that without being in movement and knowing that you can get your brain focused on one point and nothing else but because you were already doing it in that particular thing you were just into the movement and focused just on that already the brain structures gets used to that focus and it becomes easier than to use that same technique in different aspects that's so why they all, in yeah, other words the, i will carry on this to being able to reach this state when i'm not exercising well i think this is part of spirituality in that sense that it's because you're working on a physical aspect and it makes new brain structures in your head because you need to create that focus and that body awareness i think something does happen and gets activated and you do become the consciousness is becoming bigger and then of course if you then want to work deeper on that you take that off the mat or off the, the physical practice and go work on it in a in a mental mental stage i never thought about it in as a spiritual experience or anything like that it's it's the first time <laughs> i have to I want to get it out because spirituality has been seen as something way up there but it's so something down there it's so something connected to the ground to our day-to-day -day life to how we are present in our lives and how we can get focus into our lives and how we can extend our consciousness consciousness and for me that is spirituality um being aware being aware about every little muscle about every little being every little sound smell and person yep <laughs> well that's that's amazing and it's beautiful and i'm trying to gather my thoughts and try to make sense of that since i feel that today we are so distracted from everything meaning we're distracted from the cosmos because we have so many lights in the city we don't even see the stars at night and if you compare that to for instance the experience of the, a caveman the ancestral man before electricity there was no light there was nothing you just go out at night you go out of your tent or go out of your cave and you probably look at the sky and you probably get amazed like you just see the beauty of the natural world and how can you not feel impressed at your core at your soul and then we not only now have lights in our cities so we don't really see the stars we don't see that we just one spot in among so many but we're also always holding something always a phone always a a book even a book we are always with someone else's words with someone else's in someone else's mind And I think we don't just take this time to, as you say, maybe the fact that we don't take our time to just be is the reason why we feel so disconnected from everything. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. 
No, it's true. I think you're completely right. Come to Alentejo, where we have the house. <laughs> there okay. you can see all of the stars. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. It's it's amazing. Alentejo has been known for that to be one of the places in Europe where you can see the most stars and there's the least light pollution. Oh, yeah, that's wonderful. I've been to Alentejo like only one or two times. Yeah, and it's really awesome when you go outside and yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Wonderful. Is that the reason why you moved there? Uh, no, we moved there because of surfing originally. And we actually wanted to build a place um, where a house with a vision, a house where we couldn't actually what we're doing today, where we can have these conversations with people and show people that there's a different way of living possible. But that was more in a, in a sustainable uh idea so how can you make small changes and that makes a huge difference for the planet and the world um that was the idea yeah. okay let's start maybe with the name the name is casa mawonu mawonu is not your last name so does it mean something yeah so uh mawonu means vision in swahili so mm -hmm. okay swahili i don't have any connection with it but at the same time, Moana is the goddess of the ocean. So it's kind of a fun... It's a play uh, on the word? Name. Yeah. <laughs> it's a typo? Your house name is a typo. <laughs> yeah, I never thought about it. Actually, that came later. But we really just were looking for a name that means vision. And we didn't want a Portuguese name because Maomo goes much further than just the house that we have there in Portugal. When we were still living in Switzerland, um, we were organizing um, already a movie nights about permaculture, for example, and I started using the name Maono for my yoga classes. So it's broader. We want to take it out of the house as something more bigger. Does this uh, vision relate that. to your <clears throat> initial idea of being a guide? It's like, since you say you use the, the Maono in your yoga practice, so is this related to being this guide, this vision that you strive for something further away yeah no it's more i'm down to earth girl eh? I'm, I'm not i don't i'll i really like to have both feet onto the ground although it's speaking a lot of spirituality i have really yeah not many people see me like that no maona is more that i have yoga with a vision it means that i have this passion of making people aware of their bodies that was like the initial plan. And then to make people understand that the importance of taking care of your own body and mind, and then more and more making people understand uh, the importance of, of loving, loving yourself so that you can be kinder towards others. So yeah, I kind of see my yoga a little bit with a mission and a vision. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. So what is the main goal for the house? Because I think you mentioned permaculture as well. So yeah. it's not only about yoga. No, not at all. No, yoga came later. Uh, it's a house where we wanted to share our passions and our ideas. So my partner is into um, permaculture, which is um, a sustainable kind of philosophy. I would say really philosophy because it goes beyond just an, an, an organic garden. It goes about reforestation, it goes about community, uh, local markets, so local consumerism. Um, so uh, concrete, we have a garden 
that we made in a permaculture design uh, and we have planted over like 500 trees on wow. only 2,000 square meters. Yeah. Big place, Fruit, huh? And yeah, it's not so big, eh? 3,000 square meters is quite small for a permaculture garden, but it, it's like, really you know, I'm Portuguese. Tell me that in the number of football fields. Uh, it's not even, what is it? One hectare is a football field, so it's I not even so. that. Is it? Yeah, it's only a fourth of a football field. Oh, so that's it's pretty small then. I thought it was like a big... Really no, big. no, no, for it's super small. <laughs> How do you fit 500 trees in one quarter of a football field? Well, I have to be honest, a lot of them die, okay? So we've planted over 500 so that at least half will survive because Alentejo has a big water issue. There's really not enough Alentejo, water. Yeah, with the dam, even with the dam, is there still an issue? Yeah, 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 because the dam is being used for um, for the agriculture, for all the stufas, greenhouses that produce all of these berries for the north of Europe. Oh, so don't get okay. excited about that. But it's a big, big, big mess. Um, so what yeah. you get is residential water and you don't get industry water, so to say. No, no where, I, where we live, no. Uh, in the villages, yeah, you can. Uh, but we have like rainwater that we catch. We have a, a well and we have a borehole. And so we have three systems. And our kitchen water is going back into the garden, is being filtered. And we have an outside shower. Of course, inside the house, we also have normal bathrooms. But we do tell people that we have an awesome outdoor shower, which has warm water and it's wow. amazing. And that water goes straight into the plants. Oh, that's so, yeah. wonderful. Because that's These the point about awesome. permaculture, right? I think I've watched some YouTube videos about it, but I've, I got the idea that it was integrated systems so that there is no waste yeah. and there is like maximum utility from the rainwater and the cycling. Yeah, exactly. So this is, uh, yeah. Uh, and the idea is that everything becomes sustainable and it's a lot of work in the beginning, but you will create that garden in a way that the plants are helping each other. You use nature's forces or nature's idea right. or nature's natural design to make it work. Um, so that's, that's the idea. I think that's a fascinating approach. I believe that in the video I watched, uh, there was a guy, it had a very small garden. It was a normal house garden, like really, really tiny, but he grew a lot of stuff there. And things that you grew there were fish also. And you had a, a tank with fish. Yeah, and I think aquaponics. That what? Aquaponics? Aquaponics, exactly. That was it. Aquaponics. And uh, I think you use like the water from the fish because the fish pull in the water. So it has nutrients. So you use that water to feed the plants and to, to keep it growing. Yeah. I was like, whoa. It's very yeah. impressive. It is. Because it is. things like if you think about it, you have so many resources in nature. And the resources are there. It's just about of finding or designing a system that maximizes the utility from that and to not waste. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And but we we are lucky, like a lot of uh, more and more people are starting these kind of projects as an awesome community, especially where we live and we see everywhere in the world, it's becoming more and more popular. 
And we see with the house, for example, we leave just buckets in the showers of the guests. So we are guest house. Yeah, we have these two rooms that we rent and then we have a teepee in the garden and just leaving a bucket in the shower to show them, listen, if you're waiting for the warm water to come, just put the bucket underneath and use that to flush the toilet or bring the water outside on our terrace and give it to the plants. And then we had so many people telling, texting us uh, after that they started doing the same system in their houses when they were back, back home. And it makes us so happy. These are the little things that we wanted. Or we had, uh, we have, we try to do dinners as well with uh, our vegetables from our garden. And also we work with a uh, cooperative. And yeah, so our partner is a cook. And then we have these uh, big table nights where then without us doing anything, these conversations come on the table and people are asking questions. Or then we have the yoga retreats and then the yoga retreats become much more than that because it's not talking all the time about yoga because it's not all about yoga. Eh? <laughs> and then, yeah, no. for sure, we talk about where the ingredients are coming from for our food and, and or we can address the water problems and then people, yeah, people get interested um we try to be as down to earth as possible not being very extreme and live in the forest far away and and because then we can't make any difference in the world but as we we yeah we try to set keep one foot in normal society and one foot showing how it can That's be super different. i think that is the way to go because if we were to say that we should go back to the wild and each live in its own uh cottage in the forest that will not be reasonable because most people don't have the luck or the opportunity to do that so if you really want the planet to change and our societies to change now we consume and produce food i think we have to find ways that we can all bring to our own places even if we are in the city that these small things the water or just growing some vegetables in the backyard or if you don't have a, a backyard in the balcony doing focusing on things that everyone can do so just maybe more principles rather than actual projects like just having small steps and if you have a bigger place you take bigger steps but that's it so do you is that the food that you use does it all come from your garden no so we 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 have a vegetable garden in in winter and then in, the, in spring but then when summer comes and there's not enough water we don't plant again you could in portugal all year round have vegetables but then we decide to use the water for our trees because the trees oh, the get trees. Okay, okay. because we work with this awesome cooperative like there there is like the whole system that works together like we are part of an association and this woman with her husband they they grow food for like around 40 families already. 40. So we have a vegetable basket anyway through them. Oh, and then in the same cooperative, we have someone who makes cheese and bread and we almost don't have to go to the supermarket. And when the pandemic started, that was awesome to see how we were sustainable within this commun community, um, just with everyone having their products. I even get my deodorant from a lady who makes like beauty products there and yeah. It's uh, That's fantastic. Very... It's the, like, do you live in a village? Do you live in a city? Where exactly in Alentejo? So we live uh, in between two villages, in between Vila Nova de Milfontes and Porto Covo. And uh, so, yeah, no big city nearby. And then all of these people, they are a bit from the region. Um, yeah. But uh, my enemy village is like uh, disconnected houses. Like one guy lives here, the other guy lives 
500 meters away and you need a car eh? when you live in Al yeah. you need a car a bike? <laughs> that is a bike I do you have get strong legs bike, but please tell the Portuguese government they need to do something about the road because it's it, it's just suicide if I go with my electric bike on the road <laughs> oh in Braga they did a great thing you know uh, yeah because there's this movement there's people complaining about lack of uh, bike lanes and public transportation do, so do you know what they did they just no. on the normal roads they just painted a tray and made, draw a bike to say okay now you can cycle here but just in a normal road like among the cars I'm like okay thanks I guess <laughs> nice measure I can imagine so that. yeah that, there you have your cycle path <laughs> right in the road yeah shut up no. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, no one lives around these villages but yeah, yeah unfortunately we need the car but, but I spotted you also not only you said you use a car but you also use an electric bike so that's yeah. double chain on you yeah. that's why uh, you could be so much stronger in your legs <laughs> that's weakness I'm no, just, no, just kidding So, but it's amazing that these kind of communities form you know since also again going back to the disconnected topic like we are so far away and in the cities we have this supply chain that we rely on so much like you go to the supermarket and that's it if the supermarket closes you don't have any food you don't grow anything you don't know anyone who grows anything yeah. so to see these kind of communities emerge and helping each other and probably being more than just vegetables uh, vegetable suppliers because i also realized that when i was in coimbra uh, for my PhD studies, I would always go to the market because I lived near the market. And it's completely different than going to the supermarket. Because in the market, or in the farmer's market, as it is said in English, it was just uh, the people selling their vegetables. So you make a different kind of connection to them. And not only you know where the food is coming from, because that's also critically important, but you also look at food in a different way because I know the person that took care of it. Mm -hmm. I don't know if this happens to you, but for me, like I know this vegetable was raised by this lady and she's in front of me and she's giving me a hug or something. So I respect it more in a way. Like I, I try to prepare it more. I don't just throw it away. I try to use everything because it has some meaning to me. Mm -hmm. And I've, I hope that our generation uh, realizes and tries to progress more towards the importance of the community. To, yeah, we uh, need that. Yeah, we need that. <laughs> also because at least I feel that people are starting to realize that life, the city life is not for everyone. Even though as more people come and come to the city, but I grew in a small city. Uh, Black is not small, but maybe for European standards, it is small. But my parents are from the countryside. So I've always had like deep roots in the countryside and I've always seen firsthand how it's different. The people there are different and the life there is different. And there you are somebody and you are important and people know you and you know them. And whenever I would come to the city, you just one more in a, a bunch of thousands. And to me, it never really clicked. I only click when I actually, um, when I know the people around me and, and I know them like on a personal level, 
And if you then add the food on top of that, if you add the cheeses or whatever, the cosmetics, I think you just create even more layers of meaning into everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is something that maybe the pandemic has woken up people to that and then being isolated and understanding the importance of like good connections. And we don't need, also, we also don't need that many connections but we just need those few important ones and we really need to understand the, the beauty of it um, so are you telling it. me i don't need five thousand friends in facebook to feel happy yeah but that's that's true i think that's really true because in the end we are profoundly social beings and we it's something hardwired in our brains to feel rewarded when someone tells us you're doing good or when someone tells us I'm here for you, just I'm here, just you are not alone. If something happens to you, if your water fails, if, you're, if you run out of food, you can come to my place and I will have a table for you. I think these are just small things that are everything it is about. That's true, yeah. Okay, sorry, I'm getting... Uh, <laughs> I didn't want to leave you that words. Um, so, uh, you have this house, you have this uh, this project. Can people? How can can people go there? Can people book a place? Do you yeah, want for sure. <laughs> we are a tourism, so like they call it in Portugal, um, and we rent out rooms, we rent out to families, we have our yoga retreats, we have events, we, we started doing last summer concert in our garden. Concert? Um, yeah, nice. that was amazing. Yeah, in the, under, under the stars, like you said, under the Alentejo stars. Um, we have dinner events where we cook with the local organic ingredients. So yeah, people can for sure come. I also organize retreats on requests. Like even if like a group of friends, they say, okay, we want to learn how to surf. We want to do yoga. We organize that. Um, yeah. And people can also just come to the normal yoga classes. Where can they find you? Like in Airbnb, in Booking, how can they get to you? Yeah, we have Airbnb. That's the only uh, the only platform that we use for the accommodation. And then we have our own website and Instagram and Facebook. So yeah. What is your? Can you? Would you want to leave your Instagram tag? Yeah. So it's Casa. You can put it in the podcast notes. But it's yeah, Casa okay. Maono. Casa Maono is the name of the house, and then Yoga Maono is for the yoga classes. And right, that slide is also easy. It's www.casamaono.com. <laughs> really easy. <laughs> All right, Nina. It was an honor for me to talk to you. It was a big pleasure. It was so much fun. I, and I hope you enjoyed also. And I also hope that not only you can grow your community, but also find your place and find your, your future path. So thank you very much for accepting to talk to me. Thank you, Andre. Was I learned uh, a lot of new things as well, and uh, yeah, and I wish you all the best and more of these interesting deep conversations. Um, I think they're really important for us to grow. <laughs>
Thank you. Bye, folks. Thank you. If you like this podcast, consider liking this episode and subscribing to help supporting me in this journey. Thank you.